Church, it's good to be with you. And uh, I just want to say, before I get started with the sermon, man, kids are doing an incredible job. Who is that back there? Jackson and, is it Jeffrey? Man, you guys, I don't know where you got these quiet skills from. You guys are like ninjas back there. I don't even hardly know you're here. We're um, so thankful that kids are in the room and um, so thankful to be able to worship with you. Um, We are looking at John 17 this morning, and I want to be really strategic between now and the end of the year. Uh, You would think that we were starting a Christmas series this morning because some crazy individual in our church hung Christmas wreaths. I don't know who would do that. Probably some crazy person who would put Christmas lights up at their house already. Or the type of person that would listen to Christmas music like before Halloween. So whoever that is, God bless their soul, they must be giving us permission to go ahead and put our Christmas lights up. And so, um, yes, it was me. I love Christmas. And I am giving you the freedom. It is my ministry to give you the freedom that you can go ahead and try to keep up with the Joneses right here. Put your Christmas lights up. So, anyhow, my neighbors are already giving me a hard time. Uh, Justin Burkhead said, man, it's so hard to keep up with the Joneses every year. You already got your Christmas lights out. Um, Today, we're going to begin a little three-part series on prayer, looking at Jesus' high priestly prayer from John 17. Then we'll do three services uh, that are in a Christmas series that will be entitled A Light in the Darkness as we look at how Jesus brightens our life in all seasons of life. And so, if you're here in person today, if, if you're joining us through the live stream I just want to pray that, that our, and I have been praying this week, that our hearts would be open to just to receive a new word from the Lord. Because I think we really need to lean into prayer during these times. We've been studying the Gospel of John for the last eight months now. And we've been moving fairly quickly. But now we're in this section that theologians have entitled the Upper Room Discourse. And we're in the second half of that. And in this text, Jesus is warning his disciples that he's going to the cross and he's going away. And and so he's warning them because he wants them to remain faithful and fruitful. And he wants the same for us today. He wants us, no matter, even in the darkest moments of our lives, and that's where we find Jesus, is hours before Judas would betray him and he would be arrested. Jesus is encouraging his disciples that they would be faithful and that they would be fruitful. And that's what he wants for us today. And I think that too many people in the American church today are not faithful and they are not fruitful because they've adopted a type of Christianity that largely in part the church has taught them that says Jesus really only wants you to be faithful and fruitful with like 10% of your life. So just give 10% of your time to him whenever we have regularly programmed services and give 10% of your money to Him and then give 10% of yourself and your resources and your family to Him and then the other 90% are kind of yours for the taking. And that's not at all Christianity. Christianity is a call of, of giving ourselves to God and seeing that all that we have is His. And Jesus has called us out of a kingdom of darkness that I would go as far as to call the American dream. And he's called us into the kingdom of light. 
in which he knows the best way for us to live. And, and we don't attend church one day a week and we don't give 10% of our time and 10% of our resources and 10% of our money, but we give all of who we are to him. And he knows how to direct our lives better than we do. But here's the problem for most of us. We don't really believe that. And so we rarely ask Jesus for directions in our life. We rarely ask him for direction. And in John 17, we're going to look at this big idea. And it comes in the form of a question. How do we grow in personal prayer? How do we grow in personal prayer? So how do we learn to ask for directions in our life, not just in the big opportunities, not just in the times where we say that the only thing I have left to do is to pray, but in all of our life, how do we grow in personal prayer? This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. You don't find it in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. The only gospel that we find it in is, is in the gospel of John. Uh, John was called the Beloved he was Jesus' best friend. And he gives us this long chapter, Jesus' longest prayer. And so we're going to learn in this prayer that prayer is not important. Prayer is not even critical. Prayer is crucial in our lives. And it's particularly critical and crucial in the days in which we live. I just want to remind you where we're living today. Over 240,000 people have now died in America in this worldwide pandemic. Over 240,000 people have died from the coronavirus. Just to give you a contrast, in World War I, about 116,000 American soldiers died over that entire conflict. In World War II, it was roughly 420,000 American soldiers who died over years. In the last eight to nine months, we've seen over 240,000 people who have died. And this morning, just as we met in this room and just, just generally, hey, how can we pray for one another before the band begins to practice? The names begin to flow of, of what one person said, my sister, my brother-in-law, my father-in-law, like uh, multiple names. Katie was kind of rocked last Sunday as she came in. She was preparing to, to be on stage, a little panel discussion. And she got a call from her stepmom. And, and her dad was having oxygen delivered to his house because he had a, a good doctor buddy. And his pulse ox was really low. And he was about to have to head to the ER because he has COVID. We all know people who are sick. We all know people who have passed away. Some like Samantha's cousin, months ago during the summer, who left a 10-year-old son, died in her 40s because of COVID. And so it's, not, it's no longer something to say, well, it doesn't exist, or to laugh about it, or not to treat it as something that's important, because now we have close friends and even family members who have passed away as a result of COVID. Many who are in good health. And so that's the day in which we live, and now we're facing a winter in which it doesn't seem to be getting better. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. And so we need to be wise. I say all that not to, not to say, hey, here's the context, doom and gloom. No, the context, yes, it is dark. But Jesus wants us to be faithful and fruitful even in times of darkness. And here's a little hint. If we're going to do that, two hints actually, it's going to look different for everyone. 
So be very careful that you don't compare yourself to others or others to you. Be very careful of that. And secondly, we cannot be faithful and fruitful without prayer. We simply cannot. And so let's look at John 17. We're just looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning. So I know it's kind of a long introduction. Let's jump in and let's look at verses 1 and 2 as Jesus teaches us how to pray for ourselves. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. We see in Jesus first, this first segment as he prays, we see that prayer is communion and kingdom-centered. Prayer is communion and kingdom-centered. Let me explain what I mean by that and you can determine if your primary way of praying is more toward communion-centered or more toward kingdom-centered. Most people will favor one or the other. So, if you primarily pray more communion-centered prayers, then that has the idea of calling heaven down. Calling heaven down. It reflects the people who pray and their life seems to be filled with peace and oneness with God. Have you ever known anyone like that? They speak of resting in God. They look and often uh, they will feel the divine presence of God and the peace of God in all circumstances. Even in what seems like the darkest of nights. They pray in ways that their prayer is communion centered. And it's as if they are calling heaven down. There are other people who primarily pray in a way that is kingdom-centered, and you could, in a sense, view it as pushing hell back. So as they think of prayer, they see prayer as this wrestling match in which principalities and powers are at work, and they're joining God in seeing His kingdom work accomplished, and almost as if hell is being pushed back. And so you've known people who are like this, and I don't know what brings those different angles on prayer about, whether it's personality or the way that we were taught to pray, but for most of us, we'll likely identify more with one or the other, but it's important that we remember that prayer is always communion and kingdom-centered. Jesus' prayer brought about personal communion But it also brought about continued obedience to God's will. His prayer brought comfort and peace to himself in a time of darkness. While also bolstering his faith to fully follow God in complete obedience. And he begins by saying, look at verse 1. Father, the hour has come. And so Jesus begins in a very personal way in which he prays. He says, Father, that, that word was Abba. Think of all the ways that Jesus could have addressed God. Of all the ways that he could have chosen, theologically, the most accurate way to address God is Abba, which actually means Dada. So Jesus chose A word that a one-year-old could utter. Honestly, the first word out of most kids' mouths makes moms really upset. Moms are like, what have I been doing for the last nine months? 
I've been doing everything while he lays over there asleep. And what do they have to say first? Dada, right? And Jesus utters this personal word in which he calls out to his father. Many Christians fail from the beginning in their prayer life or they struggle because they don't have a good, kind, and compassionate understanding of dad. Which is to say that they had bad dads. And there's a big difference between an imperfect dad that we all are who are fathers and that we all had. There's a big difference between an imperfect dad and a bad dad. Because a a bad dad leaves you with wounds and scars. And a bad dad twists your understanding of what it means to trust someone. And what it means for someone to have your best in mind. Good fathers listen They're kind. They're compassionate. They guide and they lovingly correct. Dads love to spend time with their kids. I can remember when my kids were small and I'd get home from work and even if we were just like sitting in the hallway just rolling a ball back and forth, like I loved it when my kids would, they were small enough, they would greet me. And dads love spending time with their kids. Dads love to give their kids things that they need. Uh, We were going through some old clothes and we found this jacket that all three of our kids wore. And I remember buying it for Riley, he's almost 20 now, when he was in the second grade. It had been a really mild winter and we got back from the Christmas holidays and discovered that it was going to be cold and all he had was like a little hoodie. And I was like, we need to get him a warm jacket. And I can remember going to seven stores at the mall and Burlington Coat Factory and everywhere that would have a coat and realizing that they were preparing for spring inventory. And I finally found one jacket that I paid a probably ridiculous amount of money for, even though it was already half off, because I wanted to give him what he needed. Good dads give their kids what they need. Dads love to gently correct and show the way. And that's why Jesus always answers our prayers with yes or no or sometimes later. And Jesus prays in this prayer, Father, the hour has come. He's acknowledging God's plan for His crucifixion, His death, and then His glorious resurrection. Notice that hard times in Jesus' life, hard times aren't times to pull away from God because we don't feel loved, because we're feeling anxiety or fear or worry. Hard times are times to lean into kingdom-centered prayer in which we are trusting God. And that only comes over time as we learn that we have a good Father. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This is counterintuitive to the way that most of us pray. Jesus is asking that His obedience in going to the cross would serve as a moment of glorifying God. We don't pray like this very often. We pray that God would glorify us as long as it doesn't cost us anything or cause us to deny ourselves or sacrifice or suffer. But Jesus knew that prayer is communion and kingdom-centered. And he trusted the Father's plan completely. So I want you to think and ask yourself, are your prayers more communion-centered or more kingdom-centered? Do your prayers, in a sense, 
Are they more centered around calling heaven down or pushing hell back? As you think about your prayers, what would it look like for you to trust God in the peaceful times of your life and the dark times of your life? To come to Him as a good and loving Father, praying for His peace and presence and also boldly praying to courageously follow Him in order that you would be faithful and fruitful. Jesus goes on to show us how to pray communion and kingdom-centered prayers. Secondly, we see that prayer is conversing with God. Prayer is conversing with God. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. You know, eternal life isn't primarily about praying a sinner's prayer, being baptized, or answering a set of spiritual questions correctly. Eternal life is about knowing God. Knowing God. Ongoing. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Knowing God. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. As the waters cover the seas. See, prayer is about conversing with God in such a way that we come to know Him. And walk with Him. Not to simply say that I've, I've crossed the line. Or I've been baptized. Or I've checked the box. And most Christians don't understand this. And they don't practice it. When you, say, when you hear me say prayer is conversing with God. You say, how basic of a point could that be? Like, Brad's not going to teach us anything new today. I hope not. I hope I'm not going to teach you anything new. Because prayer is not about experiencing something new. It's about experiencing God. And most Christians don't really pray. And it's why we were talking with friends last night. And we were talking about how often it is that people these days, they will be open if they have religious experience in their past in their 20s or 30s, if they have kids to get them in church and even volunteer, but when they reach their 40s and 50s and their kids have graduated from Christianity and they have, in a sense, as parents, done their part, there's nothing left for them and they leave the church. Why? Because they've been brought up in this system in which they've heard over and over again that Christianity is only the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's just about crossing a line of salvation and being baptized and then doing your 10%. And there's nothing left for them after they get their kids across the line instead of realizing that Christianity is all of life and it's knowing God. It's the A to Z of life. And that we walk with God in all of our lives. And the only way to do that is through prayer. We come to know God as we listen and reply. And most of us do that backwards. Or we try to. But we come to know God. We come to experience Him as we listen and reply. Just like small toddlers. We don't know how to speak. It's only because language is spoken into us that we learn how to speak. And I have two examples of this in, in my home. I'm amazed by my two youngest sons. 
because my two youngest sons, neither of them uh, grew up speaking English. And if you, if you talked with them today, uh, you would be amazed. You would never know it. And I was amazed how quickly they learned English. So uh, one was almost four uh, before he began to speak English. And the other was almost eight. And if you talk with them today, how did they learn English so well? Well, their English is so good because someone spoke the words into them. All speech is answered speech. It's picked up slowly, one word at a time. And I'll say that we learn not always correctly. So um, when our, one of our sons uh, came to us, he was almost four, and he had grown up speaking a couple different languages in Ethiopia. And I can remember the first time that we had a rotisserie chicken at the table, and his eyes got so large. And he said, Wusha? And we said, no, it's not a dog. It's a chicken. And he was scared that the family dog maybe was on the table. He said, Wusha? And then I can remember as we were struggling to learn English. And we, every night, went through this routine where we said, it's time to put on your pajamas. And he would go and put on his shoes. And we would say, nobody, we're not, we're not playing. And we came to realize that chamas in his language meant shoes. And we were saying pajamas. And they were very similar. And so we don't always learn to speak correctly. It takes time. But we learn because words are spoken into us. And it's important in prayer to realize. I have this quote for you from Eugene Peterson. I have a quote that I want you to be able to see on the screen. And so the quote says this. It's important in prayer to realize what Eugene Peterson called the overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers. The overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers. He meant that our prayers should come from an immersion in the Scripture. Because this is communication from God and therefore communion with God. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. God's words are not like our words. Okay? When God speaks into us, they are not like our words. For instance, if I walk into this room at 7.30 this morning, and I came down here to the middle of the room, and I said, Let there be light! What would happen? Because Alexa and there's no Google apps that are working in this room, nothing would happen. I would have to go over to the light switch and actually turn it on, right? But Genesis tells us that when God said, let there be light, what happened? There was light. There was no going and doing after the saying that His speaking and acting are one. And so we come to discover that as we see the Scriptures, that God acts through His words. Hebrews 4.12 says that His Word is alive and active. Therefore, when we study the Scriptures, we aren't merely getting information about God. We're actually hearing Him speak and act. And the question is, will we respond in obedience? Because I think honestly that the hardest part about that 
is actually believing that God values us enough to speak to us. And the answer is he does because of Jesus. Finally, we see that prayer brings about communion with God. And I want to move this, through this really quickly because I want to challenge you with something at the end. Prayer brings us about communion with God. Look at verses 4 and 5. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus had walked in obedience to all that God had prepared for him to do. And now he is praying as if he's on the other side of the cross. And he's imagining the communion he will have with God and the glory that he will share with God because of his obedience. And as we listen to God speak and act and we respond in obedience, we, just like Jesus, we grow in our communion with God. There's really three major types of prayer. As you think about this from a practical perspective in your life. There's upward prayer and inward prayer and outward prayer. So upward prayer could best be described as praise and thanksgiving. Focusing on who God is and what he's done. That's an important part of prayer. Inward prayer is self-examination and confession. That always results in a higher view of God's love and his grace for us. Outward prayer focuses on our needs and the needs of others. And listen, as we think about prayer for the next three weeks, from now through Thanksgiving, I want to encourage you that the goal in praying is not to pray more or even better. That's what most of us walk away from um, a message about prayer and we say, I need to pray more and I need to pray better. And prayer is not about either one of those. We don't need to pray more for the sake of more because we're not saved by our works. And we don't need to pray better because Jesus stands as our mediator so that we, even though we're undeserving, we can boldly approach God and cry out for our needs to be met. I want to read Hebrews 4 to you, just reminding you of what we have in prayer. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, the writer says, Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The passage reminds us there's, there's nothing that separates us from the love of God. Hebrews 7 verse 25 goes on to say, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. We don't need to pray better because God Himself dwells in us through the Spirit and He helps us to pray. God helps us to pray. Finally, listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit 
Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We don't necessarily need to have a goal of praying more. And we don't need to have a goal of praying better. I think our goal should be that we pray wholeheartedly. That we pray wholeheartedly. Trusting with all integrity in good and seemingly bad times. Do I trust God in all parts of my day? Because we'll never be faithful and fruitful until we learn what it means to pray wholeheartedly. Tim Chester's example from his little book, You Can Change, has stuck with me now for years. Tim asked the question, he he gives this illustration that he was working on a manuscript, he was typing on his computer, and as he did, his computer crashed. And as he came to the realization that the material he had been working on couldn't be recovered, and that there was no backup to his computer, his spirit fell, and he said, oh no. He probably said some other things too. And in that moment, the Spirit just impacted him with the question, Tim, do you not trust me in this moment? Do you not trust me that I am at work for your good, even in something that seems so awful? Do you not believe that I am at work? And I think that illustration impacted me so much because the answer in my heart of hearts was, no, I don't believe that. If that were me, and I were working on a manuscript, or I were working on a sermon, and there was no way to recover it, I would struggle to think that God was good. And yet He is. And that's why we need prayer. And so I want to challenge you. Just give me five minutes. I want to challenge you to think about something. Most of you were taught this way of praying and having a quiet time. I did a little research That way of having a quiet time, it actually dates back to British theologians in the 30s and 40s, actually Australian and British theologians, who published this little 30-page manuscript. Eventually, InterVarsity published it in 1945 in America. And it was a little 30-page manuscript that mainly was George Mueller, the great um, German Baptist who, who, you guys know George Mueller, the orphanages that he ran in England and all of his prayers, they mainly came from his valuable way of practicing devotion and, and study of the Scriptures. And you've probably been trained at some point in your life and didn't even know where that material originated from, but it came from this little booklet called Quiet Time, A Practical Guide for Daily Devotions. It's published back in 1945. It's probably impacted college students for several generations over the last 50 years. And you're probably taught something like, it needs to be at least 20 minutes. You need to take a section of Scripture. I want to challenge us with a couple of things. If we're going to be faithful and fruitful, I want to challenge us to get away from the idea of a quiet time. Um, I think that one of the things that that has taught us is that we come to God one time a day. And so we have a rhythm of, I'm going to begin my day with God. I'm going to begin my day in the Scriptures. I'm going to begin my day in prayer. It needs to be at least 20 minutes. I don't know where that came from, but am I the only one? It needs to be at least 20 minutes. Um, 
that my issue with that is if you go back to the monastics in the medieval times, you'll see that the, the, the church offices were seven times a day. You can still go to monasteries where they walk through, uh, it's midnight, 3 a.m., 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., and 9 p.m. And I, most monasteries figured out that one person can't sustain that with their sleep and work patterns, and so they kind of split that up. And so you take some of those offices. I would encourage us, I believe if we're to be faithful and fruitful in following Jesus, we must determine to pray more than once each morning. What did Daniel do? The scriptures say that that daily, three times a day, he bowed on his knees in prayer. That dude was faithful and fruitful. Go back and read his life. When everybody was against him, and it seemed like he was pretty intentional, he bowed on his knees in prayer three times a day. So much so that everybody knew it. Like everybody knew what Daniel's routine was. Here's my encouragement to us. Would you join me? My challenge is this. <clears throat> little exploration between now and Thanksgiving. Would you join me in making the, the, the commitment to say, God, by your grace, daily, I want to approach you three times a day. Morning, noon, and evening. It might be for three to five minutes. It might be in the car as you're headed to that next appointment. It might be in that moment as you're teaching class and you have five minutes in between that you say, in this break, I'm going to devote it to God. I'm going to think back at noon. I'm going to think back to what I studied this morning. We're continuing to read through the CBR journal, the Community Bible Reading Journal plan. If you don't have that plan, there's an app for it. CBR journal. It's two chapters a day. I think it's important that we begin in the Scriptures and that we allow the Scriptures to lead us into prayer. But instead of calling it quiet time, what would it be like if we just said it's prayer time? I heard Mike Breen recently say, because uh, he's publishing their, their devotional times on, on social media, and, and Mike said, uh, and Mike's written a lot of material on discipleship, he said, in our prayer time this morning, we read from the book of... And it just, it hit me like, what, we just mix metaphors there. In your, in your prayer time, you read from. And I thought, that, how much, that makes so much sense. That as we come to God in prayer, what would it be like if we just kind of took a moment to rehearse the Trinitarian theology of God? That I've just woken up. God, I'm I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm I'm worrying. Uh, I'm coming to you in prayer this day, and I'm remembering that Jesus went to the cross for me so that no matter how Satan is tempting me to think that I'm not good enough today, that I'm reminded that Jesus makes me good enough and that the Holy Spirit is in me and that Jesus is now interceding on my behalf. And so, Father, I'm coming to you knowing that you are a good Father. We just take 30 seconds to remind ourselves of that Trinitarian theology. And then we say, so God, would you speak to me? Your word is alive and active. And that we would begin to read and study. But folks, not for the purpose of trying to exposit the Scriptures. I'm afraid that too many of us have been taught to read the Bible like we're preparing for a sermon. Instead of preparing to meet with a holy and powerful God who is alive and active. And His Word is active in our lives. And then if you don't know anything about prayer, consider the acrostic ACTS. A-C-T-S. That you would begin with adoration. And then move to confession. And thanksgiving. 
and supplication. And if that doesn't work for you, then don't do it. But if you've never heard of that, you might try it. Because oftentimes, we read the scriptures, we find a little devotion, and then we run to confession, and we forget adoration. And we, we never experience who God is and all that He's done. So, the challenge is this. Three times a day, would you seek God? I think for most of us, one of the struggles in prayer is this. The church has taught us that we need to be relevant. That, we are, that we're always searching for something relevant. The newest song, the newest church, the newest thing. And God calls us to the fact that He is unchanging. And we meet Him and we are fruitful when we are faithful in meeting Him in prayer. Wholehearted prayer is the goal in which we're bringing all of ourselves in all of our day, under the authority of a sovereign God, and listening and responding to Him as He speaks, because His Word is alive and it's active. Let's pray together. We invite the band to come up. <clears throat> Father, thank You that You haven't left us as orphans, that God, You've placed Your Spirit within us, and God, that as we come to you, that God, we're not alone, that you desire to speak to us. And God, that you are still at work and that you are enabling us as your church to be faithful in difficult times. And God, that you desire for us to be fruitful. And God, there's no greater joy than walking in relationship with you, than knowing you than having this close friend who's closer than a brother that we can depend on, that we can go to. So Father, by Your Spirit and by Your power, would You enable us, between now and Thanksgiving, just to practice conversing with You, knowing You, trusting You, finding our joy in You, and God being obedient to all that you say and to all that you do. God, help us now as we ponder this scripture and these teachings and as we sing together and as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Stand with us as we sing.